Stations, please. That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station. There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one that stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to River Radio and the Politically Correct Show at 6pm. You're going to be with me for the next hour or so with my, with Wisdom DaCosta. And we've got two fantastic guests, guests Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth and Tevye Markson. We're going to be finding back proposals to build hundreds of new homes on beautiful green Reading Golf Club. A transit site for travellers in Reading's revised city bid. But first, we're going to start with inequalities in policing, which are still manifesting themselves in the UK, in Thames Valley and also London. It's a persisting experience that divides our country and perpetuates hostility and division. So we're going to find out what local police forces are doing to reduce inequalities in recruitment, progression in the police force, stop and search, criminal justice system, and also how you can get involved. Did you, have, did you ever fancy becoming a police person? Well, here's your chance to find out more. So we're joined on the line now by uh, Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth. Uh, hello, Jeff, and welcome to the show. Good evening to you, and thank you for uh, having me as a guest this evening. Oh, fantastic. Now, Chief Superintendent, you've got quite an illustrious career. And pardon me, I don't know what's wrong with my teeth this evening at all. <laughs> So after 25 years, uh, 24 years serving with the British Transport Police, you joined the Metropolitan Police to be part of the Commissioner's 2020 Change Programme. Your first posting was in the London Borough of Bexley, where you helped to achieve the lowest crime rate in London. Then you went on to the London Borough of Croydon, which is a particularly challenging area, but your initiatives have seen a 30% reduction in serious youth violence, which is very significant. So you, you are the a qualified strategic public order commander of a strategic Strategic Firearms Commander and a CBRN Commander with extensive operational experience, performing key roles for many high-profile events like the London Olympics, Drooping the Colour, Notting Hill Carnival, New Year's celebrations, to name just a few. So, Jeff, you've been you are Chief Superintendent in the Metropolitan Police Service, and you lead the Crime Prevention, Inclusion, and Engagement Team at New Scotland Yard, and you're currently leading on the drive with the Met to increase the number of black, Asian, minority, ethnic staff and women being recruited to the service by way of a coordinated outreach programme. Well, that's been quite a, a, an illustrious career so far. You've achieved an awful lot, which, is, which has been really remarkable. Well done. Thank you. And um, I'm, you said if you had all the years, I've now celebrated 30 years in, in policing but the role that I've got now, I th think, is one of the most exciting, and that's to lead a, a team of um, officers and police staff to encourage more females and people from underrepresented groups to join the Met Police Service. And I understand that this time, that is one of the most challenging uh, tasks that we have at this moment in time, where we know that confidence is low, but it's vitally important that we can explain to the public why for the Met Police Service to be truly 
effective. We've got to be more representative. We've got to have more females and we've got to have more people from underrepresented groups to build that trust and confidence in the service that we provide. Okay. Now, we're going to come back to the to the program that you've got on offer in, in a moment. But first, I wanted to just, um, this is a follow-up program to a, in a report that was um, issued a couple of weeks ago for Raw Barrow Windsor Maidenhead. We looked at the ONS data and also Thames Valley Police data. And it sort of, and I will labour this a bit, but um, don't worry, I've got a statement from Thames Valley Police who, who have had a chance to comment on this. But unfortunately, we're not able to put forward a senior officer to talk about this today. A little bit short notice, I believe. So, the report, which was produced by Maidenhead Ethnicity and Race Equality Matters, also reflected a report by Dorian Lawrence entitled An Unvoidable Crisis, which indicated a cradle-to-grave cycle of inequalities which could point to entrenched racist mindsets amongst us. And I say us, because it, it's, it is a mindset which we grow up with, and clearly indicate that if you were a black, Asian and minority ethnic, your quality of light will, life will be blighted. It starts with poor housing, poor educational achievement, poorer jobs, poorer health, and an earlier death than white British, or people who are classified as white British under ONS data. And stop-and-search policies for RBWM residents if you are, you're more like you're two times more likely to be stopped in search if you're Asian, and five times more likely if you're black than white British. Equally, youth offending in Windsor and Maidenhead indicate that children in in the area who are from BAME, I'll use the expression BAME now. It's a bit of a mouthful. The saying black, Asian, and minority ethnic. They are 6% overrepresented in terms of being cautioned and sentenced for crimes, and 95% of hate crimes are classified as a racist incident or racially or religiously aggravated crime. So the question is, how do we iron out these sorts of inequalities from our experiences, not just internally within the police, but also ourselves as as citizens and and also um, in in life in in general? My personal belief, which I probably shouldn't say, but I will, is that we're all equal and we can achieve so much more, more working together, collaborating together rather than being segregated and feeling out of the loop, so to speak. So here's a statement from uh, Thames Valley Police. A stop and search is a really important tool which allows officers to allay or confirm suspicions about individuals without having to utilise the power of arrest. This is important because the decision to take away someone's liberty shouldn't be taken lightly. The Thames Valley Police is fully committed to ensuring that stop and search is used appropriately because we understand the impact it can have on communities if used incorrectly. Thames Valley Police is committed to the Home Office Best Use of Stop and Search initiative and has a number of processes in place to scrutinise that it is appropriate. The use of Stop and Search is guided by intelligence, which helps to target those individuals suspected of committing a crime. Understanding the disproportionate use of any power is important because we do not want to discriminate against any particular group or community. Stop and search is the subject of independent scrutiny through a strategic stop and search independent advisory group, the IAG, and also at local levels. This helps us to identify whether it is appropriate or inappropriate in terms of how we've used it and therefore to allow us to learn and make changes. We are always looking to improve the way we do business and stop and search is no different. Officers have recently received additional training in how to use stop and search to ensure that they comply with the guidance but also to ensure that we can use it effectively. The strategic IAG and other force oversight is there to identify areas that need improving 
but also areas of best practice that can be shared. Thames Valley Police performs well against other forces in, in relation to others, in comparison to other forces, in relation to stop and search within the number of searches conducted lower than the national average. This reflects the training and intelligence-led approach which aims to ensure that it is used, its use is correct and proportionate. However, stopping search is a valid tool for ensuring that people are not arrested unnecessarily and also has a preventative element. It is a highly effective approach when dealing with serious threats of violence such as knife crime, communities, and communities understand and appreciate its use in these circumstances. That's from uh, Kieran Bushnell, who's the Media and External Communications Officer at Thames Valley Police. Take a pause there. So we've seen that... Um, it is taken seriously. Have you got any reflections at all, um, Jeff, in terms of the Met Police and how this has progressed at all? Um, well, I'm here uh, to to talk about uh, opportunities to um, join the Met Police Service and why it's important to have uh, more females and people from underrepresented groups. And one of the areas that my team when they go out into the community uh, regularly discuss is the subject of uh, stop and search because it is seen uh, by certain sections of the community to be um, a very very emotive subject uh, in particular within the uh, black community there is real concern and the way that um, my team operate in the way that I have operated. You mentioned that I was the borough commander of Croydon previously. Uh, we had a, a real issue with serious youth violence, um, young people being stabbed on a regular basis, too regular for my, for my liking. And we had a, a number of young people who were dying from knife crime and there isn't anything more sobering than having the family of a young black male and the family saying to you, Borough Commander, what are you doing to stop this from happening? So therefore, it is important that we use all powers that we have available. But for me, the thing that I've always said to my team, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. You need, we need to be professional at all times when we're exercising our powers. We need to be showing the right respect, even in very challenging circumstances. We need to explain why we're using the power. And if you are respectful and that you use it in the, in the right professional manner, then more often than not, the community will be supportive of use of that power to prevent serious crime from occurring. But it's not an easy situation and we shouldn't shy away from it. We should talk about it a lot more. Within the Met Police Service, we encourage members of the public, community leaders and young people to come on what we call ride-alongs where they can spend a tour of duty with, an, with officers to understand the context within which we are working and what we are trying to do to reduce serious violence. So it's not a simple subject, 
And it's not something that we should shy away from, but we need to understand that knife crime can kill people and we need to be taking the right steps to prevent that from happening. So it sounds like you had a very effective engagement with um, with pub- the public and certain groups within the community. Were you able to do that by complete honesty? How did you achieve that level of engagement and carry people along so that you were able to explain and help people understand the context of the, of the tactics that you're using? I think it starts off with um, empathy. If you look at what recently happened um, with the onset of COVID, say recently, last year and a half, two years, lots of changes to legislation, uh, government requirement for police service to enact um, new powers to ensure that uh, the public health service wasn't uh, put on its knees. And from our chief officers, they came up with a, a four, uh, the four E's approach, which was about all officers should be engaging with the public, explaining to them the new legislation, encouraging people not to, to break the rules. And then as a last result, using enforcement to prevent people from um, breaking the law and causing more concern. Now, for me, the way you do that really successfully is if you show empathy at every single stage of, of your encounter. Because if you understand that you are a young black male and that you are five to six more times in certain parts of the country to be stopped, and it's happening to you on a regular basis, and you haven't committed a crime. You can understand why that person may not be too happy if they're being stopped for the seventh and eighth time. But if you explain to them, if you take the time to explain why it's being done and look to work with them, speak with the wider community so they can actually help you, then you go a long way to breaking down those barriers and building up the trust. It does not happen overnight. You have got to be consistent in the way that you do it. And you've got to have what I call true community engagement. And that means involving the community at all stages of the work that you do. So when you're looking at devising your strategies, you get the community involved in how you approach it. When you're looking at your tactics, you talk to the community. And when you go out and use those powers, you have members of the community with you to ensure that they're watching you as critical friends to make sure that you're doing it the right way. That is true community engagement. Yeah, a couple of things strike me about what you said. I mean, first is empathy. It's, a, it's something that uh, is difficult to develop in some people, but also it's emotionally very, very demanding. How do you restore or help your police officers and even members of the public engage effectively with empathy? Well, We've run a series of um, training programs, which is about uh, cultural awareness, if you've got a better understanding of the community that you are serving. And I make the point without um, any mistake here, we are not a police force, we are a police service. We provide a service to the community. And for us to be effective, we have got to have a better understanding of the communities that we serve. How you achieve that 
is by having a more diverse workforce. London, and that's what I'm here to talk about, has uh, over around about 40 to 44% of Londoners are from underrepresented groups. However, within our own police service, we have about a representation of 16%, one six. So there's a lot of work for us to do to increase the diversity of our organisation so that we are more representative. If you are more representative, you've got a better understanding and therefore you can provide a better service. That is why it is so important to have a truly reflective policing service. Now, I want to build a bit of empathy from residents and from citizens to, to you and the work you're doing. A lot of the work you're talking about is very long, it's slow, it takes time to engage, to re-engage, to develop a strategy, to redevelop the strategy, to amend the strategy, to get it approved through multiple layers. That takes a lot of time and quite often the, the situation you're working in is a state of flux where you, people can respond to incendiary incidents which you just weren't expecting. So that can absolutely delay what you're doing and your desire to make things better. How do you cope with that? By having, we've got a fantastic strategic um, independent advisory group that looks at issues related to race. We have a, an attraction community reference group, which is made up of key community leaders across London, uh, young people, uh, business people, and if you work, as I've said before, in true partnership and you involve them in all stages of the work that you're doing, when things go badly, call upon their views to get a better understanding of the community tensions, community uh, viewpoints, and get them to work with you, they will be supportive at the times of your greatest need. And that is the way that you build. It's like building a relationship. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you are consistent and you call upon those partners at all times so that they feel that they are involved in it and that they feel that this is their police service, they will then become your champions and go out to assist you in the work that we are doing. If there was one thing you'd ask from citizens and public, from the people you serve, what would it be? Well, we have a term, and it, it may sound corny, but I truly believe in it, which is be the change you want to see. If you are not happy with the policing service that you are receiving, become a part of it, either by joining or by being a volunteer. Be that change. It's very easy to stand and point the finger but the way that you really bring about true change is by being involved. We're going to take a short break now. and But stay with us because after the next song, we're going to be talking to Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth. We'll be talking about recruit, recruitment, attraction strategy, recruitment advocate, learning packages and various entry pathways for new recruits. And of course, it's Black History Month. So we're going to be finding about some of the leading lights in the Met Police and how they have changed policing and been a standout uh, icon for people in the past. Jeff, we're going to play Get Up, Stand Up by Bob Marley just for you. Thank you. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. 
Bob Marley and the Whalers would get up, stand up, which is one of our favourite songs for our first guest, which is Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth from the Metropolitan Police Service. I hope I got that right. Right, you're listening to River Radio. This is Politically Correct. We are the voice of the Thames Valley, and you can listen to River Radio online using our mobile app on Apple, Google, Web, Alexa, and digital coming soon. So we are here to interfere entertain, inform and empower people. And if you're just joining us, we've been talking to uh, Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth and he's been talking about some of the issues that um, he has faced and how he has dealt with engaging with the community in a very, which can be sometimes very complicated, very difficult to help deal with stop and search, help deal with reducing crime. He's had a very successful career in reducing crime, youth crime in particular in Croydon. And so welcome back, Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth. Thank you very much. You're fantastic. So, when we were talking about, when we left earlier on, we were talking about engaging with the public, and the public have a role to play, you know, to, to be the face or the voice or the part of the change that they want to happen. How can they actually um, join the Met Police? What sort of pathways do you have for people who actually say, well, do you know, we, we, we can engage with, with your IAGs, your independent groups, but you know what, we want to go further. We want to actually be a part of what's going on here. So I'm really, really pleased to to talk about the entry pathways. Um, I think the first thing that I would say is um, anybody aged between the ages of 18 to 57 has an opportunity to join the policing service. 
um, the new pathways. There's two main pathways. There's one where if you don't have a have a degree, but you have uh, two A levels or the equivalent, you can join the policing service and gain a policing degree. I.e., you can study, and at the same time as you're studying, you're learning to become a police officer. You are getting paid. Uh, just over £30,000 per year with also London waiting and at the end of it after three years you'll get a, a BSc degrees uh, degree uh, and you won't have uh, that student debt around your neck if you already have a degree you can still join us as a uh, police constable and study for two years and get a graduate diploma. And during that two-year training program, you'll be earning uh, over £31,500. And for those that don't want to wear a uniform that do have a degree, we have the Detective Constable Pathway, where you can join, study, and become a detective from the outset. Now, these are really, really exciting opportunities. Different to when I joined over 30 years ago, and it provides people a fantastic opportunity of being able to study, get paid, have a degree at the end of it, which we know is a really, really uh, great opportunity. And for those that are not looking to become police officers, that are public uh, interested, public service interested, you can join to be a special constable. We also have opportunities for younger people who might want to, from about the 11, ages of 11, who might want to become a volunteer police cadet. And we've just launched uh, within the past month that anybody that starts as a volunteer police cadet, when they get to the age of 16 and 17, we have a bespoke entry pathway where that person can then, if they want to become a police officer, they can progress through that volunteer police cadet into becoming a regular officer. And finally, if anybody just wants to be a volunteer, then we have the opportunity for people to come out and work with us as an unpaid volunteer. If anybody wants any more information on that, I will leave my email address later on and they can get in contact me and provide, we will provide you with more information, okay. but it's really, really exciting opportunities at this moment in time. So the, the issue of debt, student debt is, is a massive issue because we look at it in the NHS and uh, nurses and midwives are now being told you've got to have debt. Well, that's really unattractive when the, the, the burnout is a high. So well done to, to the government and to yourselves for, for, for doing that. So, I just want to explore a little bit further. What's the difference in quality and sort of job between a police constable and a detective constable? What sort of per person attracts or might be suited better for each of those roles? Well, they both are police officers. Um, there are a variety of roles in being a uniformed police officer. A lot of it, you could be a neighbourhood officer, you could be a faith officer, a schools officer, um, and you can rise through, through the ranks. A detective is more involved in um, investigating protracted inquiries. And it, I think the key thing here is to recognise that any person 
who wants to give back to the community. There is so much to offer within policing. I myself have been in the job 30 years. I have done a variety of roles within both uniform and being a detective. And that's the beauty of the role, is that over the time, over years, you may change your emphasis, you may change your focus, and the service gives you the opportunity to do different roles within the same job. But what we're looking for are people who are professional, who have integrity, have the courage of their convictions, but also are compassionate. Those are the values that we're looking for in anybody that's looking to join the Metropolitan Police Service. Okay. Now, Jeff, you mentioned uh, in one of, in when we were discussing this earlier that you're doing a lot of work in terms of areas of retention and progression. So how do you sort of keep people within the police force once they've joined and help them progress to use their abilities to, you know, to, to get the most advantage for the police service? This, this is a, such an important point because um, my role is to attract people, but there is absolutely no point in attracting people if we can't retain them. And we've known over the past few years that there's been a high rate of people leaving the organization within the first two years. So what we've put in place is a strategic approach where we've been working with our staff support associations to speak to uh, new recruits, talk to officers to find out what are the root causes for officers leaving so early in their service. We've got some officers who have left because they've not felt supported. So we've now put in place a buddy scheme that the moment uh, a female or somebody from another representative group looks to join the organization, they are paired with a buddy that is there as a matter of support. They're linked into all of the staff support associations. We also provide more flexibility for parents who have got childcare issues. We've got a program called Met Baby, which looks at providing additional support to those parents who have got children to ensure that there is that flexibility. So what we're doing now more of is by listening to our staff, listening to people that are joining, we are providing that additional support to them so that they feel that they are part of a policing family. That's, that sounds great. It sounds like you're covering as many bases as you can. And no doubt there's a lot more you haven't told us about. So how can people get in contact with you, whether they want to become a volunteer police cadet, want to become a special detective constable, police constable, or even just a volunteer? Well, I'll give you my uh, email address. I'll read it out. So it's Jeff, that's J-E-F-F dot Booth, B-O-O-T-H-E at Met, M-E-T, dot police, dot U-K. So it's Jeff, dot booth, at met, dot police, dot U-K. Or if anybody just wants to go straight to our uh, Met Police website, if you go on there and look, look for anything that leads to outreach, and one of my team will contact you. And remind me of the phrase, your key phrase for, for, for um, the public. Be the change you want to see. Okay, we're going to take a quick, quick break there, and we're coming back and talking about some of the leading lights in the Met Police Force. Order, 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 order. Sorry, that was a bit abrupt. There's only so much I can take of John Burke, but there we go. 
Welcome back. So, Jeff, we're going to be talking about some of the leading lights. It's Black History Month, and Black History Month is there to obviously tell and remind everybody that there have been many black, Asian, minority ethnic figures who've contributed significantly to cultural life in the UK. Can you tell us some of your leading lights from from the Metropolitan Police Service? really pleased that you've given me the opportunity to just talk about this because um, it may sound like a bit of a cliche, but in order for us to go forward, we need to understand our history. We need to understand who have gone before us and who have kind of uh, blazed the, the, the trail. Um, the first black policewoman was a lady by the name of Cislyn Faye Allen. Um, unfortunately, she died uh, um, this year, but she joined um, in the police service in 1968. She became Britain's first black um, policewoman and outstanding lady for her to have uh, been a trailblazer when she joined the um, police service, she was the only black person within the whole of the training school. Now, the fact that she um, served and was later recognised, we've got a plaque now at New Scotland Yard which recognises her, is um, fantastic. We've also got um, a gentleman, and in can, fact... Can I just sort of but step in there just a second. And of course, she must be particularly poignant to you because you began a career in Croydon where um, you, were, you were superintendent. Yes, uh, Chief Superintendent Borough Commander. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to, uh, to meet Sistine Fayel and she emigrated back to the, uh, to the West Indies, but they were a member of the Black Police Association that visited her in uh, Jamaica before she, she passed away. Very humble uh, lady, but was a trailblazer and uh, someone that we can all learn some lessons from. Um, there was also, within the Met Police, the first black uh, male to join the police service in 1967 was Norwell Roberts. Um, he, he joined... And he had a he had time within the CID. Became the first black undercover police officer, uh, rose to the rank of detective sergeant, and in 1996 he was awarded the uh, Queen's Police Medal for distinguished service. He retired in 1997, and I was fortunate enough uh, two weeks ago to share a platform with him, where via um, MS Teams, where he was talking about some of the challenges that he faced when he joined. And uh, it really does bring home um, what you need in terms of resilience to overcome, but you need groundbreakers like this to actually um, make that pathway for others to join. And um, my final point I'd like to mention is a gentleman by the name of John Kent, who was Britain's first uh, black police officer. And whilst he didn't um, serve within the Metropolitan Police, I think it's vitally important that we recognised uh, 
that he was a tra- trailblazer. He served in, in Carlisle. And I think this is one of the great beauties of Black History Month is that we remember these people and we, we pay homage to the sacrifices and the work that they've done in order to make things a little bit easier for those of us that are serving today. And, and of course, I have to add you to that list because, uh, I mean, 24, 30 years, sorry, in, in the uh, in the Met Police Service, and you have to contribute towards the lowest crime rate in London, in Bexley. You've also seen a help oversee a 30% reduction in serious youth violence in the London Borough of Croydon. And as you say, every life counts. So th- those are great statistics. So who else would you point to currently in the Met Police Service who are actually doing some great things? Well, um, the in terms of diversity, um, we've got an assistant commissioner, Neil Basu, is the head of the Counterterrorism Command. He's currently the uh, chair and leading the strategic command course, which is a course for chief officers to go on. We've got Deputy Assistant Commissioner uh, Baz Javid, and we have the highest ranking black female in the whole country, um, Commander Alison Hadari, and we'll soon be um, celebrating um, another black commander uh, by the name of Commander Adi Adelakin. Now, we need most certainly to have more diversity at the most senior levels, because that is how we ensure that we have um, the right key decision makers that really do understand uh, the importance of true engagement um, within the Met Police, the numbers at senior level across, I would say across the whole country at senior level are just not anywhere near where they need to be. There needs to be a more concerted effort to increase diversity at the most senior ranks. And within the Met Police, there is a a real focus on developing uh, junior officers to get through the ranks. And there is a more of a focus now on getting those senior officers to get to command level. Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth, thank you very much for joining us. And I want to say again, if you're interested in joining the Met Police as a police officer, as a police, as a detective constable, in specials, as voluntary cadets, or even as a volunteer, and there's some great uh, benefits of, of doing that, not just in terms of salary, but in your reduction in your student loan debt, then email jeff.boothe at met.police.uk. Thank you very much for joining us, Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth. And give us that phrase one last time. Be the change you want to see. Thank you very much. We're going to have a quick song now. We're going to be playing um, the song of our next guest, Pieces of Man by Jill Scott Heron. And stay with us because after the break, we'll be joined by none other than the liberal, sorry, not the liberal, the local democracy reporter for the Reading area who'll be talking about a new transit camp in Reading, Reading's um, reapplication for city status, the potential non-opening of a school, and of course, yet another golf club green areas being built on or certainly the proposal here is pieces of man pieces, tossed about the road. I saw my grandma sweeping 
with her old straw broom. But she didn't know what she was doing. She could hardly understand. That she was really sweeping up. Pieces of a man. I saw my daddy meet the mailman, and I heard the mailman say, "Now don't you take this letter too hard, now, Jimmy." They've laid off nine others today, but he didn't know what he was saying. He could hardly understand. Of a man, I saw the thunder and heard the lightning, and felt the burden of his shame, and for some unknown reason, never turned my way. Pieces of that letter. We're tossed about the room, and now I hear the sound of sirens come knifing through the gloom. But they don't know what they are doing. They could hardly understand that there are. And there you go. That was um, pieces of man with Jill Scott Heron. If you're listening to us, no, this isn't Go to Sleep. So that's a, such a smooth track. I have to ask our next guest in a moment why he chose it. So you're listening to Politically Correct. We're here to entertain, inform and empower people. And if you've missed Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth talking about stop and search, about helping to engage with minority ethnics, helping to improve the, the racial mix of, of the police force and what fantastic opportunities there are for you, including having your student debt paid off, don't forget, you can listen again. Just go to river.radio, listen again, or download the Politically Correct podcast from Apple, Spotify, Google, or Deezer. Right, we're joined now by Tevi Markson. Tevi, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing, Muslim? I'm very well. So, Tevi, you're the local democracy reporter for the Reading area. Tell us a little bit more about uh, you and about the area you cover. 
Yeah, so um, I cover Reading and been doing so for three years now. Um, I'm from Hackney, moved over here three years ago. Um, and I cover the council and Reading Borough Council and also other authorities like Royal Berkshire Hospital, Foundation Trust and, and the CCG and Fire Authority um, and all public interest stories basically in Reading. Okay, that's quite a broad area. It's not just a broad area in terms of a town, because there's a lot happening in the hopefully soon-to-be city. I have to declare public an interest here, a vested interest. I am indeed a Reading FC football fan and have been for many generations. Took my grandson to his first game last weekend against Barnsley, and thankfully Jonathan Swift scored the winner in front of us. So um, I'm, I'm, got, I have to say I'm a proud royal from that perspective. So, um, so tell me about some of the stories that um, you want to cover, because uh, and you'll be writing around. I presume which papers will these be coming into, appearing in? Um, so, my stories basically go into wire feed, which can be accessed by all all kinds of publications. I'm hosted by the Reading Chronicle, so um, my stories all pretty much always go on the Reading Chronicle website and in the paper. And then you've got Berkshire Live and. Uh, BBC, depending whether they're, they're okay. interested. So, Reading Chronicle, um, Berkshire and Live, and BBC, BBC TV. And others. So, Reading Chronicle, Berkshire Live, and BBC TV. If you want to read more of some of these stories that uh, Tevi is going to tell us about. So, w- what's first on the agenda? What do you want to tell tell us about? Um, so, if we start with the the travellers, so. That sounds fantastic. So Reading are looking to finally get a transit site for travellers. I understand that this has been a long time in the offing and um, um, uh, certain uh, groups have not wanted it to happen. But So what's happening now? Um, so, yeah, um, there's there's plans for a tra- traveller transit site at small, near Smallmeads, near the um, recycling centre. Um, it's been quite a big issue of um, travellers... Um, setting up on Reading parks and green spaces and upsetting quite a lot of people. And they themselves haven't had somewhere to go. Normally the council is supposed to provide uh, permanent places, but also transit sites. Uh, Reading is quite small and doesn't have a lot of spaces. So it's been quite a struggle for the council to find a site. They found a site a few years ago and it ended, ended up being needed for a school. So that was impossible. And now they've, found a new site um, which seems to have some problems itself. So they, they want to submit a planning application. They're going to decide next week, next Monday, whether to go ahead for that. But uh, the location raises some issues. So where is uh, it based? Where, is it, where are they planning to put the new transit site? So it's it's next to the RE3 Recycling Centre in Reading, in South Reading. Okay. Um, and so it's near there, which is... That they also deal with waste, so that's one issue being very close to waste. And I mean, I've been there before, and it does smell quite a bit. And has um, that opposition come from potential travellers, or from people just looking at it from a purely um, aesthetic perspective? So far, it's it's the council itself that's saying that there are quite a lot of issues, and they're the ones making the bid. Okay. Um, so they're quite realistic that it might not be easy, even though it's the best that they could come up with. I mean, the other issues are it's near to a sewage treatment site, um, an atomics weapon site. It's in within an area that it could be a risk there. Um, and also it's close to a flood zone. So there's quite a, a lot of issues. But some of the other sites they've looked at had, I think, even more issues. So they, they weren't possible. 
it sort of begs this, the you know begs this sort of question: How does this fit in with their strategy? Not just the planning strategy, because if you can, um, but also you know when you look at, uh, but also the th- is this part of a wider strategy with Thames Valley Police with other local authorities? Because I did understand that the, there was supposed to be a Berkshire-wide transit site, and thankfully, well, no, I shouldn't say Reading are one of the the people looking to to implement one. Um, well, at the moment, the council seems to be going alone. Um, the, the reason why they need a transit site is because the police can move travellers on from public land, but and um, but to be able to do so, to be able to seize vehicles um, which refuse to leave, uh, they have to have a suitable place somewhere else in the area, in the, the local authority area, to be able to go. And at the moment, there's nowhere. Okay. There's no transit site. There's no permanent site. So... Yep. I think the council has been in discussion with other Berkshire authorities, but they haven't been able to come to any agreement yet. So, so, so at the moment, they're trying to go it alone. But okay, which is very laudable of them, uh, despite the location. So, how big is this site going to be? Um, so it is. Let me. Sh- I think it's zero point five hectares. Is that or one point two acres? If that's, I don't know which okay. is more. So, have they looked to sort of express that in terms of numbers of encampments or numbers of? Um, of vehicles and yes so it's um i believe it is for 10 10 caravans possibly well, i think seven seven um seven pitches okay and um, when when is that coming for uh, adjudication and when will that be heard um it's on monday um, they'll, the Reading Borough Council's policy committee will decide whether to go ahead with a planning application. Yeah, it's for it's for ten to seventeen pitches um, for for gypsies and travellers. Okay, it'll be interesting to hear what people say, and if you have any comments, you want them to be read out in the next five minutes, email them to studio at river dot radio. So tell us, tell us about your next story, Tebby. Um. So yeah, the next one, I think, was the. Uh, the Reading Golf Club plans? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of smacks as if it's um, a copycat sort of thing because we've had the same issue in Windsor, or rather Maidenhead, I should say, where a beautiful golf course, which is being regarded as the lung of the area, they're planning to build hundreds and hundreds of houses, taking away all of the green belt, the green space, the biodiversity, you know, you can go on and on and on and on and on about it. Is this something similar? That's a, a certainly some of the things that people have been saying about losing the green lung. And the, so previously there was plans for 257 homes at the Reading Golf Club site, which they've now moved, but it's um, the, the golf club is planning to sell the, the land. Um, and, and yeah, pe- the, the reasons why it was refused, a lot of it was to do with the lack of green space, how much of it they were taking up with, ho- with homes and lack of links, the, difficulty residents would have to walk or, or cycle from one part of the development to to another part of the green space for example um and is it just links for pedestrians have they talked about um links and corridors for wildlife or or uh, is wildlife just being ignored in, in this application i don't think it's being ignored the last application the council believed there would be a net loss in biodiversity I think there was a disagreement that the developers didn't agree with that, and now they're saying again this really? one there will be an increase in biodiversity. But really? to, we'll have to see how how that how that comes out and whether whether they do meet that. Um, 
And you were saying 233 cycling, homes? Cycling spaces and cycling yeah. routes. And um, the one thing that will, will be interesting to see is the council last time, the officers in their report, they said basically there's nothing about carbon zero homes, um, which is really important for the council and its climate strategy. They want want to see new homes, especially big developments. They want to see them as carbon neutral mm. as possible. Um, and there wasn't really anything about that. I haven't seen anything yet in the um the, the application hasn't been submitted yet it's um it's currently a consultation so they're trying to get thoughts of residents i mean last time there were three thousand more than three thousand objections so um they'll be hoping for a slightly better reaction this time yeah so you said there's a consultation who's running the consultation um so it's fairfax who uh submitted the plans on behalf of the golf club so they, they're sort of the ones that are putting it all together. So, so in this case, there isn't an external developer buying the golf club. It's actually the golf club owners who are saying we want to build on this site. Is that, is that yeah, right? and w- working with a working with a developer to do that, it's, quite, it's a kind of com- combination. Right. Who are the develop? Who sorry? Who who are the owners of the golf club? Re- it's Reading Golf Club who have now moved to another site, um, in Caversham Caversham Heath. Right. So are these private individuals, people with debentures, or are this going to be a corporate company who owns it? Um, it's it's yeah, it's a corporate company, and it's got members obviously who have who have some sort of interest in it. Right. Okay. Um, now I don't know too much about how involved the, the members are in with the the finances. I'm that's really trying to work out whether you write to an individual or a series of individuals who have a, a vested interest in in the um, in the property, or whether it's a case of well, if it is any application or consultation, you actually just write it to a to a um, a corporate um, um, how should I put it a corporate vagueness. <laughs> So when is the when they is they have the, a manager who 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 I speak to, I've spoken to quite a lot of times because it's been a big big issue over right. a few years. So how can people take part in the consultation? Um, so yeah, the website is rgcdevelopment.consultationonline.co.uk/slash/virtual-exhibition. Can you read that again? That was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, so it's rgcdevelopment.consultationonline uk slash virtual exhibition. And is there a uh, time deadline that we have to, people have to get in their comments by in, within a certain time frame? That is a good question. Um, yes, there we go. Monday, midnight, the 1st of November. So as you don't have long. No. <laughs> just under a week a week basically a week to go yeah so the next you have to finish you, you have a chance to fill it in or rather finish it after you listen to my next show which will include james sunderland mp and gareth bacon mp talking about wokeism and about how it impacts the, the bbc and other forms of journalism it's going to be a great show sorry thanks for that segue it was very kind of you so i have a question on this we you talked about reading's strategy climate strategy has that been expressed yet have they changed their local plan so that the local plan actually looks like the climate strategy so that in the local plan they're saying we must have all of our houses be carbon zero are you aware whether they've gone that far they i mean the local plan actually was from 2019 so it kind of came out at the same time as all the climate emergencies were being declared and everything so in some ways, it might be a bit behind on, on what it would be if it was to come out now. 
right? Um, in terms of in terms of climate strategy, um, but they also they have their own climate strategy as well, which. I was having a look, and it, it, it mentions basically the bigger developments, which this would certainly be. They they really want them to have, you know, high BREM standards, which is how how carbon um, neutral it is, and, and a real focus on zero carbon homes. Yeah, but the question is, is it this? Is that a stipulation, or is that it, it would be nice, guys? Really nice, please. What they always do, so they always balance different elements and then they have to decide which elements are most important it's not a very there's not one answer really and then it's a question of they have to think well one what do i really think what do i think two what does the the the, what do the plans say but then also will it be if if we do refuse it will a, a planning inspector say well you shouldn't have refused it so there's different yeah and then there's all the all these different elements like affordable housing is of often a big one if there's a lot of affordable housing that might make them go oh, maybe we don't need so much of yeah. the climate so it's yeah it's a balancing act yeah i guess we mustn't be confused by all the complexity and must keep pushing for what's best for humanity so just watch out for that guys and um, watch out for whether or not the reading's uh, actual local plan actually stipulates and gives um gives you the chance to say sorry we don't want this because it wouldn't absolutely hammer our climate strategy. Give us that the website. I mean, the, just to say, again. the local plan does say that that ninety to one hundred and thirty homes should be built on the site, and this is a plan for two hundred and thirty-three homes. So okay. there is quite a big difference still between. Okay, all right. So the consultation website address again, one more time. Uh, RGC Developments dot consultation online dot co dot uk slash virtual exhibition. Okay, and now really quickly, we've got just under less than two minutes, a minute and a half. In <laughs> fact, Reading's bid for a city status. I'm excited. Tell us about this. Uh, yeah, so the council agreed last week to go ahead with the bid. It's part of the Queen's um, Platinum Jubilee celebrations next year. Um, they've been preparing for a few months for it now. And they sort of given a list of reasons why they think there should be a city. They've bid loads of times before. Um, and uh, we don't know why they failed in the past and that no feedback has been given by, by the government to any, to any, any of the uh, towns that, that, that didn't manage it. Um, they did highlight that history of a town, uh, its vibrancy, its identity and its community would be key things last time around. So well, people might wonder, does Reading have that or not? I suppose people can argue. Of course we do. Of course we do. We've got a fantastic <laughs> football club, world-leading university. We've got the Oracle and there are other shopping centres as well. <laughs> I'm sure. Let's hope. We'll hope there soon. Listen, thank you very much for joining us, Tevi. Please come back thank again you. in future months to tell us what's happening we'll in Reading. Um, so thank you to my guest, uh, Tevi Moxon and uh, Chief Superintendent Jeff Booth. You've been listening to River Radio and the Politically Correct Show. I'm going to play you out with a jingle because we run out of time to give you the full song. Actually, the song you wanted us to play, that was... Um, Little mix. There was. Oh, Little Sims. It's just Little you are. Sims. Yeah, you are asking what I was listening to at the moment, and yep. yeah, Little Sims. Her new album is really right. good. We, we're going to try that for next time. Anyway, thank you for listening to Politically Correct, and remember, if you don't, well, across the Thames Valley. This this is River Radio. Well.